let us now read together from our confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52. That's on page 558. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. What does the word Amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. In response to the preaching, we will sing from hymn 42 to stances 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, also you boys and girls are included. The last petition of the Lord's Prayer that we are dealing with this afternoon comes right after the petition for the forgiveness of sins. If you think about it, this may surprise you. For with the forgiveness of sins, you would think that all has now been said and done. If you have the forgiveness of sins, then all is well between you and the Lord. Then your salvation is assured, and then your entrance into heavenly glory is a foregone conclusion. However, note well that in the Lord's Prayer, the petition about the forgiveness of sins, that after that we are still given another petition to pray. The next sentence is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In other words, with the forgiveness of sins, we still need to be warned about the fact that we are not yet done. Even though we have been reconciled to God through the blood of the cross. We are being cautioned here that we are still living in this evil world that danger still lurks all around us, that the devil is still trying to claim us. He is trying to tempt us. The battle with evil is far from over. That's why it is a good thing that at the same time we're also reminded, as we were this morning, that the Lord reigns. The kingdom belongs to him and the power, and the glory. God is with us. We need the assurance of his presence. 
That's what this Lord's Day is about. I will preach you about the battle against the evil one and the ultimate victory. First, we will look at why this battle is necessary. Secondly, what this battle includes. And finally, how this battle is won. With Lord's Day 52, we have come to the end of our discussion about prayer and therefore also to the end of the Heidelberg Catechism. We have dealt with all three parts into which the Catechism is divided, namely, first, dealing with our sin and misery, secondly, with our deliverance from our sin and misery, and then finally, how to live lives of thankfulness. In so doing, we have dealt with every aspect of our faith. We have not left a a stone unturned. We know where our sin comes from. We know from what we have been delivered. And we also know how we should leave our lives of thankfulness. But as I said in the introduction, that's not the end. We cannot now just sit back and relax as if now we have made it. The Catechism does well by reminding us of that. It reminds us that while we are still on this sinful earth, Satan will never cease in his relentless attempt to draw us away from the Lord. Sin continues to be a reality. But that brings us before a dilemma. On the one hand, as we know and confess, Christ has won the victory, But on the other hand, Satan is still on the loose so that we are still constantly engaged in a battle with him. The Catechism also reminds us of that. It says that the devil does not cease to attack us. In other words, in spite of what Christ has done, each and every one also has to fight his or her own battle. Even though Christ has defeated Satan, nevertheless, we ourselves must still be aware of the ploys of Satan and thus fight the good fight of the faith. For only then will God crush Satan under our feet. So indeed, that's quite a dilemma. How does that work? For the Catechism also tells us that we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand for a moment. Sin has weakened us. It has weakened us to such an extent that we cannot do otherwise but to to capitulate. Sin, left on its own, will make us give up and throw in the towel. Like a defeated army, we would raise the white flag before even the first shots are fired. For we would be overwhelmed by the forces of the evil one. Here, you see... How hopeless it all is. Man is weak. The devil assaults him from all sides. And yet man is incapable of saying no to him. That is also what Paul said in Romans 7, verse 18 and 19. Paul says there, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Does that sound familiar? That's the way it is with you and me as well, isn't it? How often are you and I not overcome by evil because of our inability to resist? 
We say a wrong thing even before we realize it. We entertain wrong and evil thoughts without any seeming control over them. We're also easily addicted to certain substances. We feel totally helpless at times and so utterly alone. Well, we all have our struggles. The one may have different struggles than the other, but all of us have the same struggles. And then, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we see the beauty of this prayer. The Lord teaches us to pray. And what is prayer? Well, prayer is an expression of the covenant that exists between him and us. It is only in the way of the covenant that we can find our way out. For what is a covenant? Ultimately, it is this, that two are merged into one. We and God are united through faith. You can compare that to a married couple. The two become one flesh. Once you are married, and you may not again live like two separate entities. And when you have a good marriage, then whatever happens to the one partner in the marriage is also of great importance to the other. When the one is hurting, the other is hurting. When the one is rejoicing, the other is rejoicing. And that is because they live with each other in a covenant relationship. It should not happen in a marriage that when a man feels overcome with either grief or joy, that then the wife is left unaffected. In a good marriage, you share each other's intimate feelings, and that is the bliss of marriage. The two are one. And together they may face what life may bring. Well, that is exactly the way it is in our covenant relationship with God. Whoever is united to the Lord is one with him. You do not stand alone. It is true that despite Christ's victory, sin is still seen all around us. But it is also true that we exist in a beautiful covenant relationship with God. We are in Christ and Christ is in us. And in Christ we can again do what Adam failed to do, namely to choose to be on God's side and to reject the evil one. We do not belong to the army of Satan. We belong to the victorious forces of Christ. But, you may say, it is good and well to state that in Christ we are victorious. But we still have to put up our fight against sin and against the world, and against the devil, don't we? What then exactly does this battle consist of? We come to the second point. The Lord teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation. What does that mean? Well, this brings us before somewhat of a riddle. For in this prayer we pray that the Lord not lead us into temptation. But we just read from the book of James together. And there we are told that God tempts no one. Is that not a contradiction? Well, the word that is used for temptation in the original text can be used in two different ways. The word can either mean to test someone, or it can mean to entice someone to sin. 
And it is the latter that James refers to in chapter 1, verse 13, where he says that no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God does not entice anyone to sin. On the contrary, he wants us as far removed from sin as east is removed from the west. Paul also has this meaning in mind when he writes his letter to the Galatians. He says in Galatians 6, verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Paul also has in mind here the enticement into sin. He is speaking here about someone who is overtaken by a trespass. And he warns us not to let that happen to us as well. And so the Lord Jesus in the Lord's Prayer does not mean that God actually would lead us into temptation in the sense of trying to entice us into sin. For please note what he says in the next statement, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord God wants us to be delivered from the evil one. He does not want any of us to be in the grip of Satan. But it is also true that God tests us. And that is the second meaning of that word. That is what he did, for example, time and again with Abraham. Repeatedly he tested Abraham's faith. The ultimate test came when he told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. We can read about this in Genesis 22. And the Lord also reminds us of this in Hebrews 11 verse 17 where it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Here the same word is used as is used in James. The word that is used there for tempting. But here we translate as him testing us. But why, you may ask, do we pray that the Lord not lead us into temptation then? He puts Abraham to the test, but does that not mean the same as bringing him into temptation? For when you put someone to the test, do you then also tempt him to do the wrong thing? Well, brothers and sisters... Please understand how God deals with us. Think about how a shepherd deals with his sheep. For a grazing sheep, it is easiest to graze on level fields, where there are no ravines and where there are no wild animals lurking in the shadows. But it is not always possible to stay on those level fields. There comes a time when the meadows are overgrazed, And then it is time for the shepherd to lead his sheep farther afield, to fields where there is lush grass. But that may force the shepherd to to go through a narrow mountain pass with his sheep in order to reach the next grazing ground. And there, on that path to that next grazing ground, many dangers lurk. All kinds of wild animals have various opportunities to pounce on the sheep. And furthermore, also the deep cliffs pose a great danger. If a sheep does not stay on the narrow path, 
if he does not stay close to the shepherd, then he will be in danger of falling into the ravine. Now this illustrates the difference between the work of the Lord and the work of Satan. The Lord is the shepherd who leads us on the narrow path to greener pastures. He leads us through that dangerous mountain pass. For in this world, danger is all around us. We cannot escape sin. That is impossible for us. And Satan is like a wild animal who waits in the shadows to pounce on us. He will either directly confront us or he will sneak up on us. But on the other hand, the function of the shepherd is quite the opposite. The shepherd always has in mind the welfare of his sheep. He protects his sheep from the dangers around him. He does not want any of his sheep to come to harm. But a shepherd will therefore also have to test his sheep, to train them, to teach them to listen to his voice. He teaches them to stay close to the shepherd when dangers lurk. And in order to train them, he even allows them to come close to dangerous situations. He wants to teach his sheep to stay close to him at all times. He wants to teach them to trust him, to trust his voice. They must learn that only near to the shepherd are they safe. Outside of his reach, they run the risk of being killed. And therefore, we pray, lead us not into temptation. For when we pray that, then we pray that we do not fall into the snares of the evil one, and that we stay close to the shepherd. In this life, we cannot avoid contact with Satan. He is all around us. He is within us. And God knows that. And how then do we protect ourselves from the temptations of the devil? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you can only do that if you stay close to the shepherd. You can only do that if you are made aware of the dangers that surround you. And then the catechism also points out where the dangers lurk. It mentions, for example, that not only does the devil cease to attack us, but so does the world. What does that mean, that we should not mix with the world? That's what some people think. They believe that the evil comes from the world. As long as you isolate yourself as much as possible from the world, then you can also protect yourself from the evil one. But is that what the Lord God means? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 9 and 10, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Indeed, we cannot leave this world. We are part of this world. But the catechism teaches us that we should not partake of the sinful practices of this world. Catechism has in mind here the world in the way that it is abused and used by the devil and and his agents. It's also what the Apostle John has in mind when he says in 1 John 2, verse 15 and following, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, 
the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. When the scriptures speak of the world in this way, then it refers to the world as the covenant partner of the devil. And therefore, when the world is used in that collective sense, the Lord warns us of the evil that lurks around us. The world rejected him. We may not be part of that world. But at the same time, we still live in this world. And therefore, we should live in it in such a way that we stay on the right side of the fence, namely on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we stay close to the shepherd. We cannot wander away from him, for then we endanger ourselves greatly. Brothers and sisters, while we live in this world, we have to be on our guard. Sin and the devil are around us. We cannot escape these things by living in colonies as the Mennonites of today do, or as the monks do in their monasteries. For also, as the Catechism says, our own flesh does not cease to attack us. Daily we are confronted with our own sins and our own weaknesses. And if we just concentrate on the evil that is outside, then we are leaving ourselves in grave danger. For then we do not see the danger that lurks nearby, the evil that is all around us, even within our hearts. And then Satan will sneak up on you. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, then we do not pray that the Lord removes us from this world. No, we are in this world. But while we are in this world, we pray that he does not give us over to the snares of the evil one. The Lord God has made you and me part of his army. He drew the battle, the battle lines, and he drew, drew us in a covenant relationship with him. So often we partake of this world in a way that the Lord God does not allow. So often and in so many ways we take part of the evil practices of this world. Think about it. Let me ask you. What do you do for entertainment? What kinds of movies and television programs do you allow in your home? What is the kind of music that you listen to? Young people, where do you go on a Friday night or a Saturday night? Do you get drunk? What are the kinds of things you do? Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, teenagers, let your prayer not to lead you in temptation and be in accordance with your actions. Else your prayer is to no avail. Then you yourself are nothing but a worldly person. And there are many other ways in which we lead ourselves into temptation. For do not think that by avoiding such outward influences, that then you are protected from the world's either. Don't think that just because you stay away from those kinds of things, that then you are safe. For you are also worldly when you give over to your fleshly desires. For example, when you're full of resentment. When you're angry at everybody else. Also when you glory in your own achievements. When you boast 
in yourself how good you are. How good you are by staying away from all the other things and keeping the law and condemning others for doing it. You see, that's also what a worldly person does. A Christian is humble. And he wants to be close to his shepherd. Because that's where he feels close and safe. The Pharisees all looked very respectable and upfront, but in reality they were more worldly than the tax collectors and prostitutes who repented from their sins. And so it is also with you and with me. Only a repentant, only a humble person can fight the good fight of the faith. For only he fights the battle of the Lord. For that reason we also pray for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We come to the third point. In spite of the tremendous blows of the devil, we can and will persevere. For God has the power and the glory forever. That is what he promises, and we may be sure of that promise. Brothers and sisters, he also gives you and me many weapons to fight with. He gives us, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. He gives us what we need. And he gives us also the fellowship of believers, the communion of saints. For we do not just pray this prayer personally, but we also pray this for our fellow believers. For he tells us to pray not to lead us into temptation and to deliver us from the evil one. We have to look out for each other. We must keep each other close to the shepherd. We are all called to admonish and encourage and comfort one another. And that is why you belong to a church, to a church where you are committed to one another. You cannot fight the good fight on your own, brothers and sisters. None of us can. And so we can also go on to the last part of our prayer, namely to say the final Amen. But before we say that final Amen, the Lord leaves us still one word of comfort. He tells us that the kingdom belongs to him and that he has the power and the glory forever. And thereby the Lord shows us that there is a sharp contrast between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. The devil thinks that, or at least that's what he would like us to think, that he is the ruler of the earth. And that was clear when he tempted the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. He said to him that if Christ were to worship him, he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. But Christ showed that to his Father in heaven belongs the kingdom. Christ withstood the temptation of the devil, and he gave all the honor and glory to God. But how did the Lord Jesus do that? Three times the devil tempted him, and three times the Lord Jesus said, It is written. Our Lord withstood the temptation of the devil by going to the scriptures. It is written. He came with the words of his heavenly Father. And that is what you are supposed to do when you are tempted. To go to God's word and to go to God in prayer. Does the, temp- does the devil tempt you? 
Seek your defense in the Scriptures, brothers and sisters. Seek God all the time. At all times, try to be in tune with the will of your Heavenly Father. The world around us wants to worship Satan. But we know, we know whom we alone must worship. The Lord our God. No one can take his kingdom away from him. And that's a sure thing. And that's why we may also end this beautiful prayer with the word, Amen. It is true and certain. It means that we have the assurance that in Christ we have already won the battle against the evil one. And so all our lives we wait to hear and listen with bated breath about the power of God who will sustain us in this battle. And we will listen with the surety of our faith. For when we pray this last petition, we know with certainty that God is on our side and we on his. As long as we submit ourselves to him and his word. He is our covenant God. We belong together. And he does not forget his bride, his bride the church, as she struggles with the evil one. He protects her and maintains her. And so now we can say our amen, for it shall surely be. Amen.
Yeah.